Welcome to Talk About Talk with Dr. Andrea. In this podcast, we will learn about all things communication. Listen as Dr. Andrea and the experts she interviews share their expertise. Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Hey there, I'm Dr. Andrea. Welcome to Talk About Talk. I'm so glad you're here. I'm really excited about this episode. If you know me at all, you know I love learning and thinking and talking about communication, anything communication related. Today's topic, though, is the communication related topic that I am most passionate about. Today, we're discussing motivations for word of mouth. In other words, why people talk. Do you ever wonder what's going on inside people's heads when they talk? Well, after you listen to this episode, you will have a little more insight. To narrow it down, I'm not going to talk about all kinds of talk. No, I'm going to focus on word of mouth. As a consumer, you may ask your friends for recommendations about what laptop to buy, what restaurant to go to, or what car to buy. Or you may use rating websites like TripAdvisor or Yelp or Homestars to help you decide where to dine or what contractor to hire. If you're like me, you may have wondered, what possessed these people to write these reviews? Okay, you're probably not like me. It turns out I really am obsessed with this question. I'm always wondering why people say what they say, whether online or in real life. So obsessed, in fact, that I've spent years studying the question. That reminds me, if you go to the show notes for this episode at talkabouttalk.com, you will see lots of research and references that you can easily link to. But let me share some of that fun stuff with you now. In this episode, I will first define word of mouth. Then I'll get into details regarding four different psychological motivations that consumers have to generate word of mouth. In other words, why they talk. I'll define these motivations, tell you stories about them, even share quotes from real consumers about how they relate to word of mouth. Before we get going, I thought I'd give you a few reasons why you should listen. If I were you, I would be wondering, what am I going to get out of this? Well, Generally, the learnings from this episode will help you understand the motivations and the biases of people when they talk, that is, when they generate word of mouth. This can be helpful, I think, for at least three reasons. First of all, the learnings from this podcast may be helpful to you in general. In other words, this might just be interesting to you in and of itself. You will learn insights regarding unconscious biases that people are communicating to you, not to mention diagnosing what reasons you yourself might have for talking. It's always fun to understand what's going on between people's ears, right? Never mind what's coming out of their mouth. Second, as a consumer, you can better assess the advice you are receiving from other consumers if you understand their motivations and biases. Spoiler alert, given these motivations and biases, you can adjust the questions that you ask your friends when you're seeking advice about what to buy. Third and last, if you're a marketer, you can leverage these insights to inspire your customers to tell a friend about your product or service. Okay, let's get into this. First, let's define word of mouth. Word of mouth is also known as C2C communication, consumer to consumer communication, interconsumer communication, or buzz. Have you heard of any of these terms? Word of mouth is not just any talk, it's consumer talk. That means it is talk about products or services or about the marketplace. It could be products or services that you've purchased, or maybe just ones that you're curious about. For our purposes here, 
Word of mouth can be face-to-face in real life. It can be over the phone, online, or over any communication medium. That said, I should note, and you would probably guess, that face-to-face communication is much more effective or impactful than online word of mouth. Research conducted by the Word of Mouth Marketing Association suggests that face-to-face communication has about twice the impact of online word of mouth. In other words, telling someone something face-to-face versus sending them a text or an email has twice the impact. That's really not surprising, right? Face-to-face communication is so much more complete. We see facial expressions, we see body language, and we hear the tone of their voice. However, while online word-of-mouth may be less impactful, the quantity of online word-of-mouth has exploded as people spend more and more time in front of their screens. So again, for our purposes, we are considering word-of-mouth across any medium, whether online or offline. Next, importantly, word-of-mouth is not paid for or compensated in any way. That's actually why word-of-mouth is so powerful. So powerful, in fact, that word-of-mouth influences at least two-thirds of all consumer product sales in the U.S. It is non-promoted, credible, pure communication. On the contrary, some marketplace messages are paid for or compensated. When we as consumers see messages from advertisers, we know they have something to gain. Therefore, we often dismiss their advertising message. There's a whole line of research in marketing about persuasion knowledge. Persuasion knowledge considers the factors associated with consumers' expertise, or their knowledge, about how advertisers and other influencers may try to influence or persuade them unduly. Consider our commonly shared negative stereotypes of appliance and car salespeople and the tactics they employ. Our knowledge of these tactics is just one example of persuasion knowledge. In contrast, when we hear a message from another consumer, we believe they have nothing to gain. If you received a recommendation from a friend, it would probably be more persuasive than seeing an ad for the same product. The reason is simply that your friend was not tangibly compensated. It's not surprising that research indicates 84% of consumers say they completely or somewhat trust recommendations from their friends and family. Personally, I'm wondering about the other 16%. And recommendations from friends and families are trusted more than recommendations from any other source. That reminds me. When people or companies are sponsored to talk about something, that's called advertising. If they hide the fact that they're being paid, that's called shilling or astroturfing. Have you ever heard of shilling or astroturfing? Well, that is not word of mouth, and it's also not cool. When people or companies get caught shilling, there is often a backlash. And I personally cannot stand the fact that they are making marketing and marketers look bad. Apparently, the FTC agrees. In 2017, the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S. publicly enacted cease and desist orders to online influencers who do not disclose that they are being paid to promote their sponsors' products. You know those fashion bloggers who post links to clothing? How many of them do you think get paid to do so? It's now illegal for them to not declare that they are being compensated to promote products. The FTC has also created formal guidelines. And Instagram has been encouraging sponsor hashtags, Maybe you've seen hashtag sponsor on a social media post. Still, some online influencers continue to hide their revenue sources. I guess they think if they reveal that they're paid to talk, their message won't be believable. Well, once you get caught shilling, no one will believe a word you say. That reminds me, I want to be 100% clear and transparent with you. You, my Talk About Talk listeners. I will always explicitly disclose my podcast sponsors to you. 
Of course, I would never recommend anything I don't personally and professionally believe in, but I would also never take money from these sponsors without letting you know. Like I said, shilling is not cool, and frankly, it's also not necessary. Back to defining word of mouth. Word of mouth can be casual, things that just come up in conversation. It could be a random, serendipitous comment that just crosses someone's mind, whether online or in real life. It could also be less random, answering a question from a friend, like, hey, what restaurant should I go to tonight? Or even more importantly, what car should I buy? Word of mouth can also be more formal. Have you ever sat down to write a TripAdvisor review? It's not exactly casual and random, is it? But if you aren't paid, it's still considered word of mouth. So to summarize then, when we talk about word of mouth, we are talking about conversations amongst consumers that focuses on products, services, or the marketplace that takes place across any medium that is online or in real life, that is not paid for or compensated in any way, and that can be a random comment, an answer to a question, or even a formal review. So now that we have defined word of mouth, my question is, why do consumers generate word of mouth? Why would someone take the time to sit down and write a Homestars review? There are so many other things to talk about, Why talk about your amazing or your terrible experience with a home contractor? Why? Well, based on my research and the research of others, I offer you four main reasons why consumers talk about products and services. They are, number one, to be helpful. Number two, to be social. Number three, to establish balance. And number four, to serve their own self-interest. Now, these four reasons are not mutually exclusive but this list is meant to be exhaustive. That means that any given example of word of mouth can be attributed to at least one of these four motivations. By the way, before I get into defining and explaining these motivations, I should mention that I would love to hear whether you agree with these four motivations. Actually, that goes for anything you hear or read from me or any of my guests on Talk About Talk. Please connect with me at talkabouttalk.com and tell me what you think. Okay, here goes. The first reason why consumers may talk, why they generate word of mouth, is to be helpful. The main psychological motivation here is altruism. Of course, this seems like the obvious answer to why we provide our friends with recommendations and warnings, right? We want to be helpful. Let me tell you an interesting story about some of the research I conducted when I was writing my dissertation. One of my dissertation committee members Professor Jerry Zaltman suggested that I interview several consumers in-depth, one-on-one, to learn about their thoughts and feelings about word of mouth. Yes, this is the same Professor Zaltman who I interview in another podcast episode about storytelling. Now, Jerry also invented a powerful interviewing technique called the ZMET, or the Zaltman Metaphor Elicitation Technique. So, thanks to him, I got trained in this method and I had the opportunity to conduct one-on-one interviews with 10 different consumers, interviewing each of them separately for three hours. Yes, I have 30 hours of interviews recorded, and yes, you will hear some of those quotes in today's episode. Just the highlights, I promise. Needless to say, I learned a lot when I did these interviews. I learned a lot very quickly. I asked each of the interviewees to prepare for the interviews by considering their thoughts and feelings about sharing information about products and services with other consumers. I asked them all the same question. These 10 people were all very different, young and old, male and female. 
but they all started by telling me the exact same thing. 10 out of 10 told me that they share information, they generate word of mouth because they're trying to be helpful. Yes, some of them even use the term altruism. Listen to what they said. You can make the search a lot easier for somebody and potentially really make a difference for someone. It makes me feel helpful and useful. None of the 10 came in with any other motivations. But interestingly, they all eventually started to consider other motives. Some almost immediately. Others, after talking about their altruistic tendencies for like two hours, and I'm not kidding. I remember one participant who, after over two hours, sheepishly admitted that there may be something other than altruism at play. Maybe it wasn't about helping my friend at all. Maybe it was all about me. Jeez. That was a wow moment. Anyway, my point here is that word-of-mouth behaviors are often associated with the desire to help other consumers. There's no arguing that. This is not surprising and has also been demonstrated in other academic research. By the way, if you're interested in reading any of this research or other research that I mention in this podcast, I've included links to the papers in the podcast notes at talkabouttalk.com. Speaking of which... There was another word-of-mouth research paper from the 1980s that focused on how consumers sometimes act as vigilantes, basically policing the market, contributing to consumer welfare for the benefit of all consumers. That means rewarding firms that do good and punishing the bad firms just by talking about them, almost like seeking revenge. I definitely heard this in the interviews that I conducted. Listen to these two quotes, one positive and one negative. The first is from someone who's trying to help a brand stay in business by recommending it to their friends. The second is from a participant who had a brutal experience at a theater. The product is going to go away if I don't do something. Disappear somehow if I don't do something. Maybe the theater will close because of what I said. It's probably very selfish, but I felt better. I really did. I felt better. This second quote in particular revealed that the consumer understood that this negative word of mouth would have a significant effect on the theater. But the consumer was more interested in trying to help other consumers avoid the same negative experience that they had. So there you have it. Consumers attribute their word of mouth behaviors to their desire to help, whether it be helping a friend make a good decision or helping the marketplace in general by sharing information and acting as a consumer vigilante. Altruism is an obvious reason why consumers talk. In addition to being helpful, the second reason why consumers may talk is to be social. The psychological motives here are to establish connection and to express oneself. Sometimes consumers talk about products and services simply to make conversation, maybe even just to fill the silence. It could be what we call water cooler conversation or online when people feel compelled to post something, anything. Sometimes people just want to connect with others. So they start a conversation, maybe about a movie or a restaurant, or something that they bought. But it must be newsworthy. Just like marketers need to say something novel and compelling in their advertising, consumers don't just start rambling about a so-so experience. Think about it. We rarely hear people talking about average or so-so experiences. Have you ever noticed that? Well, it turns out there's research that demonstrates an asymmetrical U-shaped relationship between the satisfaction that consumers experience and their propensity to generate word of mouth. That's really just a fancy way of saying that most of the word of mouth is focused on extremely positive or extremely negative experiences, and particularly negative ones. 
So consumers are using their extremely positive and extremely negative stories to establish connections with other consumers. Consumers are also generating word of mouth as a means to express themselves. You could say that when consumers generate word of mouth, they're not just explicitly talking about products and services, but they're also implicitly talking about themselves. And aside, this idea happens to be the title of my dissertation, Talking About Products, Talking About Me. And I certainly heard this from the people that I interviewed. You are what you wear, you know. You are the things you use, and what you talk about says a lot about you. In addition to talking about themselves, consumers may also be implicitly talking about their relationship with the receiver of the information. Listen to this. It lets me show that the person is important to me, too. You know, that it's not just the product or the service. It's actually nothing to do with the product or service. So, you see from these examples, consumers also generate word of mouth to be social. That is, to establish connection or to express something about themselves. Great. So now we've covered the first two reasons why consumers generate word of mouth. To be helpful and to be social. Remember, these motivations are not mutually exclusive. That means they can overlap and consumers may have two or more motivations influencing them at the same time. The third reason why consumers may generate word of mouth is to establish balance. The psychological motives here include cognitive dissonance, overcoming scarcity, and the need to reciprocate. Sound familiar? Memories of your Psych 101 class, perhaps? Let's dive in. This idea of establishing balance is based on our innate need to make sense of things and to create equilibrium in our minds. You've probably heard of cognitive dissonance, and some of you may be well-versed in this. To simplify, though, think of the term cognitive, meaning the mind, and dissonance, which means discomfort or imbalance. So cognitive dissonance, then, is the uncomfortable mental state we experience when things are out of whack. We feel motivated to do something to reinforce consistency or balance, and to avoid stress. It could be changing an attitude, or maybe changing how much we care about it. Have you ever heard people declaring that they don't care about something when it isn't going their way? And then you wonder, would they care if things were going their way? Well, that is cognitive dissonance. We all seek to achieve equilibrium or balance, be it in our minds, be it in a social context, or whatever. And we act in ways to reinforce this balance. Do you remember transitivity theory from your school days? It's the same with electrical currents. Positive times positive equals positive. Negative times negative also equals positive. But positive times negative equals negative. Well, this relates to consumers and their judgments too. Consumers may assume that their friends, positive, will like, positive, the same things as them. It's like a validation. I noticed when I was interviewing consumers that they often experience some stress about sharing their recommendations and warnings with others. So, for example, they really hoped that their friends would agree with their recommendations. It just makes sense, right? They also talk about how they use word of mouth as an implicit tool to reduce uncertainty or to validate judgment of a product or even to validate a relationship. Listen to this. When I saw her reaction, it made me smile. I knew I made the right choice. If they have similar interests to you, the chances are higher than someone you don't know very well that they too will enjoy the product or have the same experience. Personally, I find that cognitive dissonance has such an effect on word of mouth that sometimes what consumers are saying, what they're recommending, can be biased. That is not helpful. Let me give you an example. 
When I ask my friends for their suggestions regarding significant decisions, they often, no, they usually recommend what they personally have chosen. So it could be a car purchase or maybe even what neighborhood to live in. My friends very often answer with the car they drive or the neighborhood they live in. Try it, it's fascinating. Of course, most of the time, these consumers are not out and out lying, but it seems there's a bias. This could be explained by cognitive dissonance. They are reinforcing their own decisions. So my new question, the question I try to ask people when I'm really seeking their input is, if the car you're driving didn't exist, what car would you drive? Or if your neighborhood didn't exist in the city, where would you live? That's when you get some amazing insights. Try it. You'll see. Still focusing on the motivation to create balance, in addition to cognitive dissonance, we also have scarcity and reciprocity as significant factors influencing word-of-mouth behaviors. According to the scarcity principle, consumers place higher value on products that are scarce and less value on products that are in abundance. And aside, I worked at my daughter's pizza lunch at school today, and as soon as the pizza was almost done, everybody wanted pizza. That's the scarcity principle. All of a sudden, the pizza was high value. It was hilarious. In the context of word of mouth, scarcity may also increase the value of information that's being shared. Suddenly, word of mouth, a simple recommendation, becomes like a currency or even a gift. Consider a secret for how to get a reservation at a coveted restaurant or a whisper about an unadvertised sale. These are examples of when consumers understand the scarcity principle and the value of their word of mouth. Research shows that consumers decide not to share their insider information about things like a restaurant reservation or an unadvertised sale, especially with people that they don't know as well. On the other hand, they may fully understand the high value of their message when it relates to scarcity, and they may be hoping that the receiver of the information, their friend, will feel obliged to reciprocate. Again, we can conceive of this word of mouth as currency or even a gift. Also related to balance, consumers feel compelled to reciprocate with word of mouth when they themselves feel indebted to a potential receiver of information. Or they may decide to share information because they seek to similarly obligate the receiver of the information. Listen to this. The person can be grateful, and then I feel useful, or I feel like that was a worthwhile expenditure of my time and energy for them. Now that I shared this, I wonder what I might find out maybe in return. So then, people also generate word of mouth to create balance. Balance-related concepts including cognitive dissonance, transitivity theory, scarcity and reciprocity all provide some explanation of this need for balance. Now we have covered three of the four motivations to talk. To be helpful, to be social, and to establish balance. The fourth reason why people generate word of mouth is for their own self-interest. Let me start this by noting something. You could argue that simply being motivated to do something is, in fact, serving your own self-interest. It's almost tautological, right? Economist Milton Friedman argued decades ago that rational self-interest motivates all human behavior. Of course, since then, economists and psychologists have proven that there's much more to human behavior than simply rational self-interest. Remember at the beginning, I told you about the research that I did as a doctoral student, interviewing all those consumers one-on-one -on -one about how and why they tell their friends about products and services, and how 100% of them started by telling me that it was because they are helpful, or even altruistic? Well, eventually, 100% of those interviewees also told me that they have self-serving interests for talking. Isn't that just fascinating? Maybe even ironic? 
think about it. We assume our friends are just being helpful. But it turns out that one of the main motivations that drives people to share recommendations with their friends is self-interest. Two theories help inform this phenomenon, social capital and self-enhancement. First, let me tell you about social capital. A very simple way to conceptualize social capital is to think of it as your reputation. Social capital can be earned and lost based on what you do and what you say. And certainly, we all seek to elevate our social capital. There's a great book by Jonah Berger called Contagious that highlights the significance of social capital in the context of word of mouth. Berger lists six main reasons why things catch on, why things become popular. These six reasons are not all motivations per se, but there is some overlap. According to Berger, one of the main reasons why things are contagious, why they catch on, is due to social currency. Social currency is represented in the reputation derived from the exchange of social objects, be it clothing, videos, reactions, links, and yes, word of mouth. So if sharing a recommendation for a product will improve your reputation, maybe your reputation as a helpful person or as an expert in that area, then the word of mouth has social currency. Simply put, we share what makes us look good. You may have heard of opinion leaders, those consumers who are experts and who talk a lot, providing advice regarding some product category. You may know someone who knows a lot about cars and talks about cars and seems to provide a lot of recommendations about which car to buy. That person is an opinion leader for cars. You may also have a friend who's a go-to about restaurants. That person is probably a restaurant opinion leader. In research that I conducted with Professor Mengzi Shi at the Rotman School at the University of Toronto, we investigated how tangible rewards offered to consumers for making recommendations may affect these opinion leaders and non-opinion leaders differently. I'm sure you've seen these programs. Get a free t-shirt if you bring a friend to the gym, or receive a $5 credit on your next purchase if you refer a friend. Before I go any further, yes, I know I originally defined word of mouth as non-compensated recommendation. When word of mouth is compensated, the receiver of the information may discount the message, right? Not believe the recommendation, thus potentially diminishing the reputation or social capital of the person providing the recommendation? Well, that was actually kind of the point of this research. Listen to what we found. We used a huge database of research from a project that I did when I was a student. I collected data from surveys and then also from online behavior of the same survey respondents, with their permission, of course. Professor Shi and I predicted and demonstrated that the social capital earned by these opinion leaders may actually shield them from any negative implications associated with receiving tangible benefits for making recommendations. In other words, opinion leaders may have developed a reputation of intrinsically motivated referrals across their networks, which shields them from a potential loss of social capital associated with the extrinsic rewards that they receive when they provide a recommendation and receive a benefit. This is an aside, but it illustrates how consumers earn social capital improve their reputation through word of mouth. Self-enhancement is a related topic here. Self-enhancement is about maintaining and improving one's self-esteem or self-worth. I have a mental exercise for you. Consider, for simplicity's sake, that there are two kinds of people, experts and novices. So, say for restaurants, you have people who are experts at choosing restaurants, and you have people who are non-experts or novices. Now, consider that these two types of people, experts and novices, can have either satisfying or dissatisfying experiences. Now imagine four scenarios or conditions to consider. 
Imagine a bunch of consumers went to a restaurant. So there could be experts who are satisfied with the experience, experts who are dissatisfied, novices who are satisfied, and novices who are dissatisfied. If you like to think in terms of matrices, this is a two by two, where you have consumer expertise in one dimension, experts and novices, and satisfaction in the other, satisfied or dissatisfied. Now, my question for you is, who talks the most? For my doctoral dissertation, I examined this question in excruciating detail. Shout out to my professor, David Goddess, for all his work with me on this. Over the course of many, many years, Professor Goddess and I conducted controlled experiments and used real online word-of-mouth data to demonstrate the effects of self-enhancement on word-of-mouth. When I finally got to the job market, I had to give formal academic presentations to the faculty at various schools. When I drew this two-by-two matrix on the board and asked the audience who generated the most word-of-mouth, I could immediately tell who had pre-read my research. Many people would think it would be the dissatisfied experts. We've all heard experts telling dramatic stories about their disappointments, right? Well, no. It turns out, satisfied experts generate significantly more word-of-mouth than any of the other conditions. They do so because word-of-mouth regarding their positive, successful experiences can serve as an indicator or a signal of their expertise. In other words, they are self-enhancing. Yes, they are generating word-of-mouth in their own self-interest. Remember those 10 one-on-one interviews that I conducted, where all 10 of them came in telling me they were just trying to be helpful when they generated word-of-mouth? Well, all of them eventually declared that they also share word-of-mouth recommendations to serve their own self-interest. Listen to these quotes from the research participants. This is about having the information to share that makes you feel powerful and confident, like you have information. You know, that you make good decisions and know stuff. There's some products that I feel I'm a know-it-all about, and I can just talk anyone under the table. I can be respected when I'm talking about it because of my background in it. I have the privilege of purchasing really cool, expensive, and scarce products. I am a successful consumer. I am an expert. So, the next time you receive a recommendation from a friend about a great restaurant or a great vacation destination, ask yourself, are they trying to be helpful or are they self-enhancing? Most people assume they're just trying to be helpful, but research indicates otherwise. Word of mouth can be very ego-motivated. Word of mouth can provide an implicit opportunity to improve consumers' reputation, power, status, and self-worth. There you have it. Now you've learned a lot about word of mouth very quickly, and specifically the four main motivations that consumers have to talk. Number one, they talk to be helpful. Number two, they talk to be social. Number three, they talk to establish balance. And number four, they talk to serve their own self-interest. I hope you found this interesting, and I hope this will encourage you to think about why you provide recommendations to your friends and why others are sharing word of mouth with you. Whether you're chatting at work skimming your social media feed, or reading reviews online, ask yourself, are these people just purely being helpful? Or are they trying to be social, trying to make conversation? Maybe they're seeking to establish balance, or to tell me something about themselves. Or maybe that's their ego talking. Are they purely self-interested? Or maybe it's a combination of these. Well, that's a lot of information to digest. I would love to hear from you about any of this. Do you have any examples? Suggestions for things to add to this list? Please connect with me at talkabouttalk.com or on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. 
I would love to hear from you. If you have a few moments, I would also be very grateful if you would rate this podcast on iTunes. And of course, I would be foolish at this point if I didn't ask you to tell all your friends about Talk About Talk. Thank you and talk soon.